Welcome to the Behold Do Good podcast. We're your hosts, Todd and Ashley Marchant, and this show is about strengthening families through whole being health. At a time when there is so much that can distract, discourage, and disconnect us, our family is on a journey that is led by three core questions. What whole being practices can we implement so every member of our family can have increased capacity, save your life more deeply, and use their gifts to do good? How do we translate and apply what we learn into simple, tiny habits that work amidst the demands of life? And how can we use our increased capacity to better care for others in our family, community, and throughout the world? Each month, our family focuses on one core area of whole being health. We take the biggest challenges we're facing in that area, seek out answers and direction, and do all we can to implement what we learn all the while sharing our journey through this podcast so you can learn and grow alongside us. We joyfully invite you and your family to join us on this whole being health journey. Welcome back to the Behold Do Good podcast. This month, our family is focused on strengthening our physical well-being. Most interviews going forward will be Ashley and I together, focused on addressing some of the most pressing and common challenges we face as families. This interview is one of two remaining that I recorded before Ashley and I decided to make this shift. Aligned with our focus on physical well-being this month, I had the chance to visit with nutritional psychiatrist Drew Ramsey. This interview helps us understand what types of foods influence stronger mental health and fitness. In two weeks, we will publish an interview with a family eating specialist that builds upon the what of nutrition by teaching us the how. Specifically, how to feed our families without the stress, anxiety, food battles, and mealtime meltdowns. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform to catch that episode when it's released. Enjoy this episode. So we've been talking a lot about you know, why this is important and how it's important and how maybe we've gotten to a state that we are. And you've dropped little things here and there, tidbits of, of kind of what to do about it. But, you know, one of the things that you, I know, have written about and talk about is that there's these power players that you and some colleagues have done the research to then say, you know, what, what nutrients are the most important nutrients for our brain and mental health? And then what foods are the most dense in providing those nutrients? And those are kind of your, your power players. And mm-hmm. so maybe, maybe let's talk for a minute about, you know, what are some of those, you know, core foods that, that are, are most important to have included in our diet. And then I think one of the things too, that I I'd love to transition after we talk about that is it can be a little overwhelming at first, as we think about the culture we live in today and how prevalent processed food is and, and just, uh, the, the natural lifestyle in modern society goes against some of these principles. So it can, it can be challenging to, to change. And so I think one of the things that we always talk about is that tiny changes, big impact, that we actually are more successful in creating long-term impact in our life. Not when we go drastic and significant, at least most of the time and try to create some huge shift in our life. But when we actually break it down to some really small, very tiny first step, And then we start doing that step consistently. And then we figure out the next tiny step and we start doing that step consistently and make it really easy on ourselves. So let's, let's talk, what are the power players? And then, and then how, how can people, you know, get started? Yeah. So the, the power players, some of them are just on the cover of eat to beat depression and anxiety. And there are a list of foods that represent the food categories 
that that uh, have the most nutrient density. So you're looking to get the most iron and B12 uh, per calorie out of these foods. So some of them are things. Uh, kale is one, of course. I, I had to put kale in there because I'm uh, you know part of the kale mafia. But also kale represents leafy greens. So all leafy greens are going to have 20 to 30 cups per calorie. They're going to have some fiber. They've got their hydrating food, which is really important. We've got lots of uh, magnesium and potassium. Uh, so vitamin C, um, uh, red beans are on the list, red beans, white beans, black beans, beans are just great. They've kind of faced it a headwind, a lot of misinformation about, uh, beans in the media. That's really quite unfortunate. If you look at people who live the longest and have the bent mental health, they eat beans and lentils. I've seen a lot of weird misinformation about both kales and beans. Like people say like they, they draw the minerals out of your body. And I don't like to use myself as an example too much, but I don't take any vitamins. Do I look like the minerals have been sucked out of my body? I mean, I hope not. I don't think so. So it, it's really, people are facing a lot of headwinds in terms of uh, misinformation about food. In terms of the other power players, think about things like olive oil, as we mentioned earlier, uh, looking at kefir. Kefir is a fermented dairy product. Fermented foods are so important. Kefir has more colony forming units than any other fermented food I've been able to find. And it's just great for smoothies, right? If you've got kids and you're thinking about, wow, like some of these things like anchovies or watercress or, uh, you know, um, pumpkin seeds and, you know, colorful vegetables. Some kids like those, some don't. Right. So, so some of these foods are really intended, you know, I think to be very, in some ways parent friendly um, and, and simple. Um, some of the other foods, dark chocolate is on the list in, in part, dark chocolate is just, I think it allows us to confront our relationship with sweet uh, treats and guilt uh, dark chocolate. The cacao bean has got lots and lots of interesting phytonutrients in it. Um, they're, they're, they're dark chocolate so powerful. There have even been studies where researchers have spent like millions of dollars trying to prove that dark chocolate uh, versus a multivitamin, like which one's better for preserving cognitive function. Now, the bad news is it wasn't the chocolate, but what is interesting is things like you see increased blood flow to the brain when people eat dark chocolate. And then as a clinician, you think, well, people have a lot of conflict like with snacking. So if I can get you to swap out like your bag of chips, right, or pretzels or uh, um, like a fruit smoothie drink in the, in the middle of the afternoon for some dark chocolate covered almonds and a kombucha, a fermented tea, I've just given you like an almond, dark chocolate and a fermented food. Like, and you're probably not going to have a huge sugar crash if we do it right. So that's a good example of what we call a simple swap. So yes, about the power players. The power players represent the food categories in nutritional psychiatry. If you want to get started real quickly, just think about your week now and just little rhyme, seafood greens, nuts and beans, and a little dark chocolate. And so if you just think about your last week, everybody listening, like, do you eat any seafood meals? You know, like yesterday, like I went through a period where in 36 hours, I just ate, I ate wild, nothing but wild salmon. I was very impressed with that. Um, uh, any anchovies in the last month? <clears throat> How about mussels, clams, or oysters? Bivalves are really, really uh, important. Um, you mentioned the work with Laura Lachance, the antidepressant food scale. If everybody Googles antidepressant foods, it's an open source piece of science. Uh, just real simple idea. Which nutrients have the most evidence that they affect depression? There were 12 of them that we found. And then we asked what foods have the most of those 12 nutrients per calorie? Real, real simple, simple publication, but it allowed us to look at the food groups that had the most of those nutrients. So you look at like the animal 
foods on that list. And three of the top five are mussels, clams, and oysters, the bivalves, because they have so much B12 and iron and zinc and, uh, and omega-3 fats. So um, lots and lots of those 12 nutrients. Um, so that, 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 uh, that, that tells you a little bit about the power players. Um, really quick before you move on, say, say that rhyme one more time. Seafood, greens, nuts and beans, and a little dark chocolate. Okay, awesome. Well, I love it. And and I love the emphasis on the dark chocolate. You know, I think one of the things, and, and you'll get into this, and, and the reason why I mentioned I love it was one, because I, I really enjoy dark chocolate. But two is, I, I think part of, and this is what you're about to transition to, is we think about making changes. Not only is it helpful to have very simple, like, hey, here, here's here's an you know easy recipes or or ways to to naturally do a swap that you know we take away this and we replace it with this, and you know you mentioned one of those really easy ones that hey, anytime we're using oil, use olive oil. Yeah, that's a very easy you know swap. Many of the others you know have been manufactured by by man over the last hundred years, but olive oil has been used for thousands of years. That swap is a very easy one. It, it's helpful to have those, but it's also really, really important. Anytime we want to make long-lasting behavior change, it needs to be something joyful. It needs to be something we actually want to do, right? That that you know, I've found as we've tried to swap out and improve you know, our nutrition as a family, if it gets to where it's not something enjoyable to eat or it it's complicated uh, and takes a ton of time and effort and is this weight on on life that we're not successful in maintaining that. But when we can make shifts where we get to place, and it's, it usually takes a little effort up front to kind of figure it out. But once you get into it, it's something that's delicious. It's, it's, it's something you enjoy and it isn't you know, intensive on your life, you know, that's when we've been able to make sustained changes in our diet in ways that have been very, very supportive. And so anyway, uh, I'll let you speak now to, to how, how can people get started incorporating these, these power players into our diet? I think the question of behavioral change is such a good one because, you know, uh, I'm sure everybody listening, it's not like let's well, surprising lentils and olive oil and wild salmon or foods that should be on your table. One of the things I really like about being a clinician is you get confronted with the reality of good ideas. And you, we can talk to the cows come home about these foods, but the bottom line is, all right, you're living in rural Indiana. Where are you going to find wild salmon? Uh, that's why in Eat to Be Depression and Anxiety, the, the new book, there's a wild salmon burger uses canned salmon because I wrote the book during the pandemic. And canned salmon is really inexpensive. I come from a really, really rural, really poor part of America. So it's just always been important to me that this is practical and you can do it anywhere. You can go to any big box store and buy these foods. This isn't weird specialty stuff. Some of it can be, but you can do it in just a real straightforward, simple, simple way. Some of the things I think really help people are deadlines and goals and, and not being around weight, focusing on food and food categories. Like the, the thing that helps everyone's health, whether it's weight, blood metrics, mental health, again, is cutting out those processed foods. But part of why I like our message in nutritional psychiatry is I really want to think about how to fill that plate up. I want you to look at your plate, right? Like say olive oil is a fat I'd like to see on there, but also other colors. If there's not, can you put some stuff in the fridge that just always adds some colors to your plate? I always have red peppers and I've got citrus and I've got some pomegranates and I've always got microgreens and they like sprinkle them on everything. Right? How can you get just quickly? And if there's not, you know, and maybe they're just because I got to put my food on Instagram. It's part of my job as a nutritional psychiatrist. right? So maybe I'm obsessed with this, but I, I think um, all of us like 
pretty food, you know, and it's nice. It takes just a little, even if it's just cooking it for yourself, just make it a little nicer. So colorful is called rainbow vegetables is that food category. In terms of behavioral change, focusing on the food categories, focusing on your problem areas. Are you a snacker? Are you a late night carb craver? Are you an early morning faster, but then you crash? Right? What's what's your challenge right now? Are you like just stopping at the drive-through after work because you're sad and upset? And goodness, Frosties and French fries are just delicious, right? I mean, like we've all been there. It's okay. Uh, where what's something you want to focus on? And as you're saying, doing those small steps with patients, I just try and focus on a couple things. Hey, first of all, I try and emphasize, what are you doing great? Patients say, Oh, I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm getting this uh Instead of just processed food, like there's some people who you know, get some pre-made meals, even frozen meals, but it's a lot of plants, right? And they say, I know I'm in a rush, but I sat down and, and you know, I put it out of the freezer and I defrosted it and I had this healthy green bowl or something. I think that's a wonderful step, you know, where you're showing you're taking care of yourself and you're, you're taking that next step up, right? Or, or um, in my own life, I've noticed I'm on a toast bender, and I'm a big fan of toast. I really am. And so I've, I've really tried to optimize that sourdough, olives in there, nuts and seeds, and butter. And I'm just noticing I'm down on a lot of butter. And I was like, you know, what if I just, this next week, I just swap that out for olive oil? I like olive oil just as much. Um, uh, is that a little simple swap that I can do? If you think about how much that changes the fatty acid profile of a couple hundred calories of food, that's pretty impressive. So um uh, focusing on fermented foods, I find is something. So picking a couple food categories, picking some low hanging fruits some things you can do, picking stuff you said, joyous and you like, right? Where you're not like pinching your nose and trying anchovies as your first step in nutritional psychiatry. If you don't tr like fish, that's not where we're going to start. <laughs> let's start with fermented foods. You don't like those? Great. Let's start with leafy greens. You don't like those? Great. Let's make some pesto together. Cause I'm going to, you're going to like leafy greens after that probably. Um, and then partnership is great. Like you're noticing it's your family, right? So you guys all know when you pull into fast food, yeah, you're making that choice together and you know what it is, but you also know if you bang out some good meals or you uh, are trying something new, right? Hopefully everybody's a little bit on board. Um, people are, are maybe also celebrating victories. So I think those are all kind of um, some of some of the ways that we think about behavioral change. Small goals, we, we use in our courses, we use the SMART goals, right? That your goals are specific, that you can measure them, that they're outcomes, that they're timely, that they're clear results. Because a lot of times we like, I want to be a better eater. I want to feed my mental health. Like, and these are great, you know, kind of bigger missions. As, but, you know, again, as a clinician, I like to get to like, okay, when do you go to the grocery store? Uh-huh. Like, how do you shop? Like, what do list do you use? Are you a recipe person? Or what do you eat for breakfast? And what else? Okay. Because there's just two or three things most people eat for breakfast. Like, how can we tune those up with some of these simple swaps, getting more nutrient density? The goal of this type of eating, again, is your microbiome, the organisms that you're carrying around are in more harmony with you. That leads to less inflammation. Less inflammation leads to a healthier brain. If you look at how do antidepressants work, how does psychotherapy work, they really often work by lowering inflammation and increasing brain growth. And so we want to kind of have our diet dialed in in a way that supports that. Super helpful. You know, it's interesting as you talk about goals. Uh, BJ Fogg is one of the just world's leading authorities on habit formation and behavior science. He's out of Stanford. 
and I just love his work. But one of the things that he talks about, he, he actually doesn't like using the word goal at all. He says it's too ambiguous. And most of the time when people say they have a goal, it's, it's just an aspiration. Like, and aspirations are helpful places to start when we think about behavior design. And so, yes, I want to eat better. Yeah, that, that is an aspiration. But what has to happen next is list out as many behaviors as you can that you can think of. And, and you know, even if magic was real and, and you could make yourself do anything, what are all these different behaviors that could contribute to eating better, to that aspiration? And then let's pick, pick one of those to start with. Pick one mm-hmm. specific behavior that is effective that is likely to lead to the aspiration or be well connected to it and that you can very much see yourself doing, you know, and let's start there. And I'm also going to say there's a part, I don't know how to say this more nicely, but there's also a way that I think a lot of us have been in spots where we've had a lot of reasons and excuses as opposed to reps. And by reps, I mean like every week eat 30 plants. How many plants do you eat this week? Right. If you're not counting that, you're like, whatever other ideas you have or reasons or excuses, it's just like, you're, you're not paying attention to the right stuff. How much seafood you get three or four meals of seafood. Have you ever done that in a week? Most Americans haven't a lot of haven't. I hadn't, I didn't eat any seafood till I was 30. I come from Indiana, the land of the sea. No, it's not. It's land of ponds and that's not where you get tasty fish. So there's so much that we have to do that all of us aren't doing. And I don't say that as a judgment. I say that as a challenge. I say that as, as I wanting to communicate. I am personally challenged in that way. I Like I told you, I'm a toast bender. Like that's one. It's like wheat and an olive. That's two of my 30 plants. Uh, as opposed to when I'm in my groove and I'm making pesto. Pesto's got, uh, for me, pistachios, uh, pumpkin seeds. Those are my nuts. Um, olive oil doesn't exactly count as a plant, but I kind of does. Plant, right? Olive oil. Um, I'm going to have basil. I'm going to probably have some kale in there. I might have some fresh oregano from my greenhouse. Um, I might throw some pine nuts in there. Probably not garlic. I'm going to have in there, of course. Right. So that's just my pesto. I'm at seven plants. So that notion of counting more plants, focusing on nutrient dense plants, and also really dialing in your proteins. Well, most people, that means more seafood, going to grass-fed beef and, and and diversity. I find a lot of people are like burgers and steaks. I'm like, okay, we had an amazing, super inexpensive, slow-cooked grass-fed stew, just maybe like half a pound of meat in there, tons of veggies. Meat was super tender. Broth was incredibly rich. Uh, just I, I'll put it up on my Instagram so everybody could see. Um, Sounds delicious. Please do. But you know, I think a lot of people would focus on that and be like, meat's bad for you. And I think it's just a way where thinking around food has really gotten convoluted in a way that has not been helpful to people. And in also a way that's really been taken advantage of and has driven this processed food thing, right? Like natural foods don't advertise themselves. And I mean, it's like, it's like there, there was, there is no kale lobby. Like I was the kale lobby. Like I made kale. Like that was, that was our team. Right. <laughs> it was like, but it's not like there was like, oh, some farms who certainly supported us, but you know, there's not a way that these fruits and vegetables and seafood are going to like jump up and down on the grocery store aisles, singing all of the science uh, behind them and all of all of the marketing reasons you should be buying them for your health. But um, yeah, but I hope people hearing all this, it's pretty straightforward and simple. It requires daily effort. 
it pays off. There's a lot of new science and an encouragement to like think about feeding your brain and your mental health as your number one priority. Like what happens to you if you do that? Like what happens to how you eat? What happens to how you go to the grocery store? What happens to how you like, what do you need to learn? Right? I started doing that 20 years ago. I had to learn so much. And, and then that's why a lot of what all the books are about. The reason I wrote Eat Complete, I was like, man, I can't keep any of these nutrients straight. Which has magnesium? What has potassium? What has thiamine? So that's what this book is. It goes through each of the nutrients and says, these are the top five foods in the world that contain vitamin B1. These are the top five foods in the world that contain vitamin E. Then the recipes are made out of out of those foods. So, you know, in some ways it's, it's simple and straightforward, but it's knowledge I find so many of us need and particularly people with mental health concerns. If you're a parent and you've got mental health concerns in your family history, like, like my wife and I do, you want to do stuff. You don't want to just sit around and be like, boy, I hope that doesn't I hope, you know, hope those symptoms don't show up in our, right? You want to make sure that you're teaching your kids skills on how to take care of their mental health. And, and one of those skills we want to try and impart and, and actualize is, is feeding their mental health and, and making sure that they're nourished in a way that the data supports is best for the mental health. Well, I'm, I'm truly grateful for the, the work that you are doing. Andrew and, and helping to cut through the noise and to teach those principles that it, it literally, and this is not an exaggeration has been life-changing you know, for us. So both of our families certainly have, as most do, I think some history in, in mental health challenges. And, and when in that kind of dark place a number of years ago, where we were pushed to start to, to pay more attention to what we were eating. And as we started to learn about you and your work and lots of other, you know, wonderful thought leaders and began to make changes, you know, there was a lot of small changes. We, in our case, were motivated enough to draw some, some kind of clear white lines in what we ate that helped us to cut out a lot of processed foods. But, but that, and again, mental health is very, very uh, complex and that it wasn't the one thing, but it was one of the things that very clearly played a major role in, in a lot of healing that took place in our family. And it's now just an active part of kind of our family culture and mindset. And so I'm truly grateful for it. Well, uh, so, and I just want to thank you again for mentioning that it just means a lot. It makes it our conversation is deeper and more meaningful to me, knowing that, uh, you know, uh, some of this information has been helpful and that you guys have actualized it and uh, that it's been meaningful. I mean, that's, you know, that that's what matters. So thank you for that. Oh, oh, thank you, Drew. And now before we wrap up, I do want to make one you know, important note and, and just get your quick perspective on this. And then we'll, we'll wrap up the conversation here. I've had some dear friends who have faced eating disorders. I've got dear friends whose spouses have, have had to work through and struggle through eating disorders. I've got a, a colleague who her professional work is supporting people who have eating disorders. And the recommendations that someone who's facing that goes through. And again, every situation is unique and 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 it's all different. But the at times there are you know different approaches that are really important to help to get through the mental you know blockages people have with food and and with you know, their culture and pattern of eating. And so uh, any any caveats here if someone's listening and and you know maybe concerned that they have uh, an eating disorder or they have someone they love that that is facing that, you know, what what caveats would you say uh, to our conversation today for for that situation? Well, first, I really appreciate the question. You know, it would be horrible if nutritional psychiatry, the ideas that some foods are better for your mental health than others, 
if that idea leads people to uh, move into disordered eating, you know, things like orthorexia uh, of having strict rules that prevent how you eat, not a formal eating disorder diagnosis, but certainly what we see a lot in the wellness world uh, into anorexia or bulimia or a mix of the two. Uh, and so part of eating disorder treatment often surrounds removing value from food because all food is seen in such pathological terms or the regulation of intake um, is, is compensated with other behaviors over exercising or purging. Uh, Columbia Psychiatry, where I'm on the faculty and where I trained, is really renowned for eating disorders under the direction of Tim Walsh, Evelyn Atia, Joanna Steinglass, uh, Deb Glassifer. I mean, these are three, four clinicians who are in my head often is just really wanting to make sure this message is responsible, that restrictive eating uh, and pathological eating patterns are really dangerous. Anorexia is the most lethal psychiatric disorder. About 5% of people with anorexia die. And so it's very important that this be thought about in the proper context, just as I see some people promoting often, you know, food is medicine and food's the only medicine. All you need is to eat right. And everybody with depression or anxiety has had that experience where, you know, you tell somebody you're taking a medicine, you're in therapy and, and they want you to solve it all with avocados. And so I hope our message today is really clear. The caveat I, I have is that people should be uh, enjoying food which is, and, and really having a joyful and abundant experience with food. People should not be counting calories. I don't count any calories. I weigh the same as I did 20 years ago, not because I'm counting calories, because I'm in a relationship with food and with myself that allows for maintenance of a healthy weight. And that's where I really, I, I hope people get to with this information. It's not about restriction uh, in any way. It's about joy and engagement and abundance. Uh, and I hope those aspects um, uh, are felt by my colleagues in eating disorders to really be true to the, the highest values we want for eaters. We don't want people shoveling in food with no values. That's a really acute part of treatment, again, because these disorders are so uh, ingrained in individuals when you have eating disorders and they're so dangerous. Uh, but we do want people to have values around how they care for themselves, around the foods that they're eating, um, and, and uh, around feeding their mental health. And so it's a great, it's a great comment. And certainly, you know, people um, use information in all kinds of different ways, but it's always been my hope not, not to create a complex set of rules, but to have a very simple message that what we eat is related to how we feel, that you as an individual can take care of your mental health and do a better job taking care of your mental health with nutritional psychiatry. And then whatever treatment you're pursuing, whether you're going on psychedelic journeys to treat your alcohol use disorder, or you are in a couples therapy, uh, or whether you're taking a medicine uh, because that's what you have time for, that's what works for you and what you like, all of those treatments are going to work better if your nutrition is dialed in, if you're eating according to the principles of nutritional psychiatry. Awesome. Thank you for that caveat and, and that compassionate response. And uh, thank you for the insight and the practicality of this conversation. Drew, where can our audience find you? Well, thank you so much for the for the conversation and, and for all you're doing to promote healthy lifestyle, both with your personal story, which I just think that, you know, lived experience has cred in this world that's really important. And so you promoting mental health and, and a lifestyle and a family lifestyle that talks about and engages in and decreases stigma about mental health 
just a real treat to be speaking with you. So thank you. I'm easy to find everybody. I'm Drew Ramsey, MD. I'm uh, Drew Ramsey, MD on Instagram is probably where I'm most active on social these days. Our website is drewramseymd.com. I've got three e-courses there. Most recently, Healing the Modern Brain has been our biggest effort. It's a really wonderful course going through all the tenets of mental fitness. Uh, for clinicians, we have a nutritional psychiatry training program. Uh, and then we have a wonderful clinical group in the Brain Food Clinic. Um, so uh, I'm easy to find. And uh, the books uh, most recently, Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety, came out a couple of years ago. And uh, before that was Eat Complete. Um, anyway, thank you so much for the great conversation, everyone. Oh, and then finally, we've got our, our new email list. Uh, Friday feels really easy, just a couple, maybe five or six links we send out every Friday about just great mental health research information. One of our favorite brain food recipes, we try to really keep it light and, uh, but make sure that people are getting the, the most important, most delicious information about mental health. I've been on the Friday feels list for, for at least uh, eight or nine months and enjoy getting those every Friday. So Drew, thank you and, uh, and take care. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a great one, everyone. Thanks for listening to part two of this interview with Drew Ramsey. If you found it helpful, I invite you to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. As a new podcast, each review makes a huge impact. Also, with the shift Ashley and I have made to lead Be Whole Do Good together with a focus on strengthening families, we could not be more excited about some support options we'll be soon releasing. If you desire to be a more mindful parent, to have your family practice greater compassion for yourselves and each other, and to establish a family culture of continually becoming more whole and doing good, then you won't want to miss what will be released soon. To be kept up to date, simply head on over to beholdogood.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter at the bottom of our homepage. We are so grateful to be on this journey of whole being health with you. Have a wonderful day.